0: chapter 59 of a popular history of france from the earliest times volume six this librivox recording is in the public domain a popular history of france from the earliest times volume six by francois guizot translated by robert black chapter 59 louis the sixteenth M de calonne and the assembly of notables seventeen eighty one to seventeen eighty seven part one we leave behind us the great and serious attempts at reform the vast projects of m turgot seriously meant and founded on reason for all their somewhat imaginative range had become in m necker's hands financial expedients or necessary remedies honorably applied to the most salient evils the future however occupied the mind of the minister just fallen he did not content himself with the facile gratifications of a temporary and disputed power he had wanted to reform he had hoped to found his successors did not raise so high their real desires and hopes m turgot had believed in the eternal potency of abstract laws he had relied upon justice and reason to stop the kingdom and the nation on the brink of the abyss m necker had nursed the illusion that his courage and his intelligence his probity and his reputation would suffice for all needs and exorcise all dangers both of them had found themselves thwarted in their projects, deceived in their hopes, and finally abandoned by a monarch as weak and undecided as he was honest and good. M. de Turgot had lately died, March twenty, seventeen eighty-one, 1781, in bitter sorrow and anxiety. M. Necker was waiting in his retirement at Saint-Ouen for public opinion, bringing its weight to bear upon the King's will to recall him to office m de maurepas was laughing in that little closet at versailles which he hardly quitted any more the man impossible to replace is still unborn he would say to those who were alarmed at m necker's resignation m Joly de fleury councillor of state was summoned to the finance department but so strong was the current of popular opinion that he did not take up his quarters in the residence of the controller general and considered himself bound to pay m necker a visit at st before experience had been long enough to demonstrate the error committed by m de Maurepas in depriving the king of m Necker's able and honest services, the veteran minister was dead, november twenty one seventeen eighty four. In the teeth of all inclinations opposed to his influence, he had managed to the last to preserve his sway over the mind of Louis the sixteenth. Prudent, moderate, imperturbable in the evenness of his easy and at the same time sarcastic temper, he had let slide so far as he was concerned the reformers and their projects the foreign war the wrath of the parliaments the remonstrances of the clergy without troubling himself at any shock without ever persisting to obstinacy in any course ready to modify his policy according to circumstances and the quarter from which the wind blew always master at bottom in the successive cabinets and preserving over all the ministers whoever they might be an ascendancy more real than it appeared the king regretted him sincerely quote, ah said he i shall no more hear every morning my friend over my head End quote. the influence of monsieur de maupas had often been fatal he had remained however like a pilot still holding with feeble hand the rudder he had handled for so long after him all direction and all predominance of mind disappeared from the conduct of the government the loss is more than we can afford said clear-sighted folks already for a moment and almost without consideration the king was tempted to expand his wings and take the government into his own hands he had a liking for and confidence in m de vergennes but the latter a man of capacity in the affairs of his own department and much esteemed in europe was timid devoid of ambition and always disposed to shift responsibility into the hands of absolute power notwithstanding some bolder attempts the death of m de maurepas did not seriously augment his authority the financial difficulties went on getting worse on principle and from habit the new controller-general like m de vergennes was favorable to the traditional maxims and practices of the old french administration he was however dragged into the system of loans by the necessities of the state as well as by the ideas impressed upon men's minds by m necker to loans succeeded imposts the dues and taxes were increased uniformly without regard for privileges and the burdens of different provinces the parliament of paris in the body of which the Controller general counted many relatives and friends had enregistered the new edicts without difficulty the parliament of besancon protested and its resistance went so far as to place the Controller general on his defence all that is done in my name is done by my orders replied louis the sixteenth to the deputation from franche-comte the deputation required nothing less than the convocation of the states-general on all sides the nation was clamoring after this ancient remedy for their woes the most clear-sighted had hardly a glimmering of the transformation which had taken place in ideas as well as manners none had guessed what in the reign of louis the sixteenth those States generals would be which had remained dumb since the regency of marie de medici still more vehement and more proud than the parliamentarians the states of brittany cited to elect the deputies indicated by the governor had refused any subsidy obey said the king to the deputies my orders have nothing in them contrary to the privileges which my predecessors were graciously pleased to grant to my province of Brittany. Quote. Scarcely had the Bretons returned to the States when M. Amelot, who had charge of the affairs of Brittany, received a letter which he did not dare to place before the King's eyes. Quote, Sir, said the States of Brittany, we are alarmed and troubled when we see our franchises and our liberties conditions essential to the contract which gives you Brittany regarded as mere privileges founded upon a special concession we cannot hide from you sir the direful consequences of expressions so opposed to the constant principles of our national code you are the father of your people and exercise no sway but that of the laws they rule by you and you by them the conditions which secure to you our allegiance form a part of the positive laws of your realm End quote. Contrary to all received usages during the session of the states, the royal troops marched into Rennes. The noblesse refused to deliberate, so long as the assembly had not recovered its independence. The governor applied to the petty nobles, who preponderated in their order. Ignorant and poor as they were, they allowed themselves to be bought. Their votes carried the day, and the subsidies were at last voted, notwithstanding the opposition on the part of the most weighty of the noblesse a hundred of them persistently stayed away internal quarrels in the cabinet rendered the controller-general's situation daily more precarious he gave in his resignation the king sent for m d'ormesson councillor of state of a virtue and integrity which were traditional in his family but without experience of affairs and without any great natural capacity he was besides very young and he excused himself from accepting such a post on the score of his age and his feeble lights, quote, I am only thirty-one, sir, he said, quote, I am younger than you, replied the king, and my post is more difficult than yours, End quote. A few months later the honest magistrate, overwhelmed by a task beyond his strength, had made up his mind to resign. He did not want to have any hand in the growing disorder of the finances. The king's brothers kept pressing him to pay their debts, louis the sixteenth himself without any warning to the Controller general had just purchased rambouillet from the duke of pontievre giving a bond of fourteen millions but madame d'Ormesson had taken a liking to grandeur she begged her husband hard to remain and he did it was not long before the embarrassments of the treasury upset his judgment the tax-farming contract so ably concluded by m necker was all at once quashed a regie was established the Discount Fund, or Caisse d'escompte had lent the Treasury six millions. The secret of this loan was betrayed, and the holders of bills presented themselves in a mass demanding liquidation. A decree of the Council forbade payment in coin over a hundred livres, and gave the bills a forced currency. The panic became general. The King found himself obliged to dismiss M. d'Ormesson, who was persecuted for a long while by the witticisms of the Court his incapacity had brought his virtue into ridicule marshal de castries addressed to the king a private note Quote, i esteem m d'ormesson's probity said the minister of marine frankly but if the financial affairs should fall into such discredit that your majesty finds yourself forced at last to make a change i dare entreat you to think of the valuable man who is now left unemployed i do beg you to reflect that without colbert louis the fourteenth would never perhaps have been called louis le grand that the wish of the nation to be taken into account by a good king is secretly demanding sir that the enlightened economical and incorruptible man whom providence has given to your majesty should be recalled to his late functions the errors of your other ministers sir are nearly always reparable and their places are easily filled but the choice of him to whom is committed the happiness of twenty-four millions of souls and the duty of making your authority cherished is of frightful importance with m necker sir even in peace the imposts would be accepted whatever they might be without a murmur the conviction would be that inevitable necessity had laid down the laws for them and that a wise use of them would justify them whereas if your majesty puts to hazard an administration on which all the rest depend It is to be feared that the difficulties will be multiplied with the selections you will be obliged to have recourse to. You will find one day destroy what another set up, and at last there will arrive one when no way will be seen of serving the State but by failing to keep all your Majesty's engagements, and thereby putting an end to all the confidence which the commencement of your reign inspired." The honest zeal of Marshal de Castries for the welfare of the State had inspired him with prophetic views but royal weakness exhibits sometimes unexpected doggedness quote, as regards m necker answered louis the sixteenth i will tell you frankly that after the manner in which i treated him and that in which he left me i couldn't think of employing him at all quote. after some court intrigues which brought forward names that were not in good odour that of foulon late superintendent of the forces and of the archbishop of toulouse Lomenie de brienne the king sent for m de calonne superintendent of lille and entrusted him with the post of controller-general it was court influence that carried the day and in the court that of the queen prompted by her favorite madame de Polignac. tenderly attached to his wife who had at last given him a son louis the sixteenth delivered from the predominant influence of m de morpas was yielding almost unconsciously to a new power marie antoinette who had long held aloof from politics henceforth changed her part at the instigation of the friends whom she honoured with a perhaps excessive intimacy she began to take an important share in affairs a share which was often exaggerated by public opinion more and more hard upon her every day received on her arrival in france with some mistrust of which she had managed to get the better amongst the public having been loved and admired as long as she was dauphiness the young queen after her long period of constraint in the royal family had soon profited by her freedom she had a horror of etiquette to which the court of austria had not made her accustomed she gladly escaped from the grand palaces of louis the fourteenth where the traditions of his reign seemed still to exercise a secret influence in order to seek at her little manor-house of trianon new amusements and rustic pleasures innocent and simple and attended with no other inconvenience but the air of clickdom and almost of mystery in which the queen's guests enveloped themselves public rumour soon reached the ears of maria theresa she tenderly concerned for her daughter's happiness and conduct wrote to her on this subject quote, i am always sure of success if you take anything in hand the good god having endowed you with such a face and so many charms besides added to your goodness that hearts are yours if you try and exert yourself but i cannot conceal from you nevertheless my apprehension it reaches me from every quarter and only too often that you have diminished your attentions and politenesses in the matter of saying something agreeable and becoming to everybody and of making distinctions between persons it is even asserted that you are beginning to indulge in ridicule bursting out laughing in people's faces this might do you infinite harm and very properly and even raise doubts as to the goodness of your heart in order to amuse five or six young ladies or gentlemen you might lose all else this defect my dear child is no light one in a princess it leads to imitation in order to pay their court on the part of all the courtiers folks ordinarily with nothing to do and the least estimable in the state and it keeps away honest folks who do not like being turned into ridicule, or exposed to the necessity of having their feelings hurt. And in the end you are left with none but bad company, which by degrees leads to all manner of vices. Likings carried too far are baseness and weakness. One must learn to play one's part properly, if one wishes to be esteemed. You can do it if you will, but restrain yourself a little, and follow the advice given you." if you are heedless i foresee great troubles for you nothing but squabbles and petty cabals which will render your days miserable i wish to prevent this and to conjure you to take the advice of a mother who knows the world who idolizes her children and whose only desire is to pass her sorrowful days in being of service to them wise counsels of the most illustrious of mothers uselessly lavished upon her daughters already the queen of naples was beginning to betray the fatal tendencies of her character whilst in france frivolous pleasures unreflecting friendships and petty court intrigues were day by day undermining the position of marie antoinette i am much affected at the situation of my daughter wrote maria theresa in seventeen seventy six to abbé vermont whom she had herself not long ago placed with the dauphiness then quite a child and whose influence was often pernicious she is hurrying at a great pace to her ruin surrounded as she is by base flatterers who urge her on for their own interests almost at the same moment she was writing to the queen i am very pleased to learn that you had nothing to do with the change that has been made in the cases of messrs turgot and malzerbe who however have a great reputation among the public and whose only fault in my opinion is that they attempted too much at once. You say that you are not sorry, you must have your own good reasons, but the public, for some time past, has not spoken so well of you, and attributes to you point-blank petty practices which would not be seemly in your place. The King loving you, his ministers must needs respect you. By asking nothing that is not right and proper, you make yourself respected and loved at the same time. I fear nothing, in your case, as you are so young, but so much dissipation. You never did like reading, or any sort of application. This has often caused me anxieties. I was so pleased to see you devoted to music. That is why I have often plagued you with questions about your reading. For more than a year past there has no longer been any question of reading or of music. I hear of nothing but horse-racing, hunting, too and always without the king and with a number of young people not over-select, which disquiets me a great deal, loving you as I do so tenderly. I must say, all these pleasures in which the king takes no part are not proper. You will tell me he knows, he approves of them. I will tell you he is a good soul, and therefore you ought to be circumspect and combine your amusements with his in the long run you can only be happy through such tender and sincere union and affection the misfortune and cruel pangs of their joint lives were alone destined to establish between marie antoinette and her husband that union and that intimacy which their wise mother would have liked to create in the days of tranquillity affectionate and kind sincerely devoted to his wife louis the sixteenth was abrupt and awkward His occupations and his tastes were opposed to all the elegant or frivolous instincts of the young queen. He liked books and solid books. His cabinet was hung with geographical charts which he studied with care. He had likewise a passion for mechanical works, and would shut himself up for hours together in a workshop in company with a blacksmith named Gamin. THE KING USED TO HIDE FROM THE QUEEN AND THE COURT TO FORGE AND FILE WITH ME this man would remark in after days. To carry about his anvil and mine without anybody's knowing anything about it required a thousand stratagems which it would take no end of time to tell of. You will allow that I should make a sorry figure at a forge, writes the queen to her brother Joseph II. I should not be Vulcan, and the part of Venus might displease the king more than those tastes of mine of which he does not disapprove louis the sixteenth did not disapprove but without approving as he was weak in dealing with his ministers from kindness and habit so he was towards the queen with much better reason whilst she was scampering to the opera ball and laughing at going thither in a hackney-coach one day when her carriage had met with an accident the king went to bed every evening at the same hour and the talk of the public began to mix up the name of marie antoinette with stories of adventure in the hard winter of 1775, whilst the court amused themselves by going about in elegantly got-up sledges, the king sent presents of wood to the poor, Quote, "'There are my sledges, sir,' said he, as he pointed out to the gentlemen in attendance the heavy wagons laden with logs. The queen more gladly took part in the charities than in the smithy. She distributed alms bountifully. In a moment of gratitude, the inhabitants of rue saint Honoré had erected in her honor a snow pyramid bearing these verses quote, fair queen whose goodness is thy chiefest grace with our good king here occupy thy place though this frail monument be ice or snow our warm hearts are not so bursts of kindness and sympathy sincere as they may be do not suffice to win the respect and affection of a people the reign of louis the fifteenth had used up the remnants of traditional veneration the new right of the public to criticize sovereigns was being exercised malignantly upon the youthful thoughtlessness of marie antoinette in the home circle of the royal family the queen had not found any intimate the king's aunts had never taken to her the crafty ability of the count of provence and the giddiness of the count of artois seemed in the prudent eye of maria theresa to be equally dangerous madame elizabeth the heroic and pious companion of the evil days was still a mere child already the duke of chartres irreligious and debauched displayed towards the queen who kept him at a distance symptoms of a bitter rancour which was destined to bear fruit marie antoinette accustomed to a numerous family affectionately united sought friends who could quote, love her for herself quote, as she used to say an elusive hope in one of her rank for which she was destined to pay dearly she formed an attachment to the young princess of lamballe daughter-in-law of the duke of pontieve a widow at twenty years of age affectionate and gentle for whom she revived the post of lady superintendent abolished by mary letzinska the court was in commotion and the public murmured the queen paid no heed absorbed as she was in the new delights of friendship the intimacy in which there was scarcely any inequality with the princess of lamballe was soon followed by a more perilous affection the countess jules de polignac who was generally detained in the country by the narrowness of her means appeared at court on the occasion of a festival The queen was pleased with her made her remain and loaded her and her family not only with favours but with unbounded and excessive familiarity finding the court circles a constraint and an annoyance marie antoinette became accustomed to seek in the drawing-room of madame de polignac amusements and a freedom which led before long to sinister gossip those who were admitted to this royal intimacy were not always prudent or discreet they abused the confidence as well as the generous kindness of the queen their ambition and their cupidity were equally concerned in urging marie antoinette to take in the government a part for which she was not naturally inclined m de calonne was intimate with madame de polignac she created a duchess and appointed governess to the children of france that is the royal children was all-powerful with her friend the queen she dwelt upon the talents of m de calonne the extent and fertility of his resources m de vergennes was won over and the office of Controller general which had but lately been still discharged with lustre by m turgot and m necker fell on the thirtieth of october seventeen eighty four into the hands of m de calonne born in seventeen thirty four at douai charles alexander de calonne belonged to a family of magistrates of repute and influence in their province he commenced his hereditary career by the perfidious manoeuvres which contributed to the ruin of m de la discredited from the very first by a dishonorable action he had invariably managed to get his vices forgotten thanks to the charms of a brilliant and fertile wit prodigal and irregular as superintendent of lille he imported into the controller generalship habits and ideas opposed to all the principles of louis the sixteenth the peace would have given hope a new turn says m necker in his memoir if the king had not confided the important functions of administering the finances to a man more worthy of being the hero of courtiers than the minister of a king the reputation of m de calonne was a contrast to the morality of louis the sixteenth and i know not by what argumentation by what ascendancy, such a prince was induced to give a place in his council to a magistrate who was certainly found agreeable in the most elegant society of paris but whose levity and principles were dreaded by the whole of france money was lavished largesses were multiplied there was no declining to be good-natured or complacent economy was made the object of ridicule it was daringly asserted that immensity of expenditure animating circulation was the true principle of credit m de calonne had just been sworn in at the court of aids pompously attended by a great number of magistrates and financiers he was for the first time transacting business with the king sir said he the controllers-general have many means of paying their debts I have at this moment two hundred and twenty thousand livres worth payable on demand i thought it right to tell your majesty and leave everything to your goodness louis the sixteenth astounded at such language stared a moment at his minister and then without any answer walked up to a desk there are your two hundred and twenty thousand livres he said at last handing monsieur de calonne a packet of shares in the water company the Controller general pocketed the shares, and found elsewhere the resources necessary for paying his debts. Quote, if my own affairs had not been in such a bad state, I should not have undertaken those of France, said Calonne gaily to M. de marchaux at that time advanced in age, and still the centre of public esteem. The King, it was said, had but lately thought of sending for him as minister, in the room of M. de Maurepas. He had been dissuaded by the advice of his aunts. The late Controller general listened gravely to his frivolous successor. The latter told the story of his conversation with the King, Quote, "'I had certainly done nothing to deserve a confidence so extraordinary,' said M. de Machaut to his friends. He set out again for his estate at Arnonville, more anxious than ever about the future. If the first steps of M. de Calonne dismayed men of foresight and of experience in affairs, the public was charmed with them no less than the courtiers the bail des fermes was re-established the case Descompte had resumed payment the stockholders or rentiers received their quarters arrears the loan whereby the comptroller-general met all expenses had reached eleven per cent a man who wants to borrow m de calonne would say must appear rich and to appear rich he must dazzle by his expenditure act we thus in the public administration economy is good for nothing it warns those who have money not to lend it to an indebted treasury and it causes decay among the arts which prodigality vivifies new works on a gigantic scale were undertaken everywhere quote, money abounds in the kingdom the controller general would remark to the king the people never had more openings for work lavishness rejoices their eyes because it sets their hands going continue these splendid undertakings which are an ornament to paris bordeaux lyons nantes marseilles and nimes and which are almost entirely paid for by those flourishing cities look to your ports fortify havre and create a cherbourg braving the jealousy of the english none of those measures which reveal and do not relieve the straits of the treasury the people whom declaiming jurisconsults so vehemently but vainly incite to speak evil of lavishness would be grieved if they saw any interruption in the expenditure which a silly parsimony calls superfluous end quote. End of chapter fifty nine part one